What's up, Mets fans and Mets Up listeners? Back here for episode number 27 of the Mets Up podcast. I'm your co-host, Giraffe Neck Mark. Mark Luino here with James Shiano. Jeter had no range. A little bit later of an episode, uh, completely my fault. Your boy is traveling. I went from North Carolina to Texas. We were going to do it in the airport. That didn't really end up working out. Got to my destination in Texas. A little busy. A little busy. So I had to take a little rain check here on James. But luckily, the boys got together this morning, and we are ready to talk about Mets baseball. Four-game series up against the Philadelphia Phillies. Just finished up where the Mets split. It was a very uh, bittersweet series, to say the least. There were some good wins. There were some bad losses. Overall, the offense is struggling. That is the hot topic in New York Mets land right now. So we're going to go everything or go over everything that is New York Mets related from this past series. Of course, if you guys want to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at MetsedUp, YouTube channel, MetsedUp Podcast. And then if you're listening to us, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Just search MetsedUp and you will find us. James. What's your thoughts after this uh, series? Because, like, I feel like there was a lot of really big highs, a lot of comeback wins, but also the lows just were, like, really, they felt like gut punches. They weren't necessarily, like, you know, rip your throat out, rip your heart out kind of losses, but they were just, like, ugh, they were discouraging. Yeah, the word for this series is definitely bittersweet because while we had two pretty important and good, I don't even want to say good, while we won two games against the Phillies, you watch all four of these games and you're like viscerally aware of the fact that you easily could have lost all of them. Like the Mets were a stone's throw away from being swept in four games at home by the Phillies, games in which their three their three top pitchers pitched. And that's not a very good feeling. It's kind of the reverse of that Padre series where we took three of four, where it was like we could have won every one of these games. This, we were much closer to losing every one of these games and winning them. Much closer. I feel... I feel like the Mets had to have led a very few amount of innings in this series because the two games that we won, ninth inning comebacks, we just simply didn't get ahead, which is something that this Mets team has done well all year is get ahead early, and it feels like we didn't get ahead until late. I don't think the Mets entered one inning of this series with a lead. Yeah, that's that alone is not good. Like That can't happen. That's not a recipe for success. That feels impossible. It should be. <laughs> it should be impossible. The caliber of our team and the caliber of the Philadelphia Phillies the pitching, again, very much not the problem. The pitching is what is holding this team down. It's very reminiscent of 2015, where it was pitching, 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 and we couldn't score again, except we didn't have the talent in 2015. This year, we don't. We have the talent offensively, not hitting. The pitching has still been lights out. Like I don't think we can ever blame the pitching. No, I'll never blame the pitching. Mets are the best pitching statistically still in baseball by a lot. I think the Mets' starters ERA is still almost a half of a run lower than the next closest team. Which is absolutely disgusting. It's crazy. absolutely disgusting because that was probably our biggest question mark going into the season was our pitching. We were like, how good is it going to be able to be? Are we going to be able to get Stroman, Taiwan? They were, you know, I don't want to say question marks, but there was a legitimate concern of whether or not they would be able to help carry this rotation without Carrasco and Syndergaard, and they've been great. So great. Let's take that into game one, talk about Taiwan a little bit because he, hey man. he bailed us out so bad in that game. That was one of the worst displays of offensive baseball I've ever seen in my life, like especially being in attendance. And I went to the Mets games in like 2011, 2012. With Omar Quintanilla yeah. at shortstop and uh, Jordani Valdez been playing. Omar Santos behind the plate. Oh, man. Omir Santos. Omir Santos. <laughs> the early days of Juan Lagares when we're still pretending he could hit and he's playing 150 games. But this was another one of those games for Taiwan where he just put out a handsome box score. I'm saying that a lot for the guy because he really does know how to work a clean box score out, not a lot of walks, 
always plenty of strikeouts, not even many hits at all. He was kind of whiffless today. He only got five whiffs. And fi- looking at five whiffs and five strikeouts, it's kind of like, how the fuck did you manage that? Like, that's almost impossible. But my guy just crushes the called strikes. His command has been A1 this year, the best it's ever been in his entire career. He threw a splitter only three times the whole game. It got three called strikes off the charts. The slider had seven called strikes versus only one whiff. His two-seamer, calling a two-seamer now, no longer a sinker, had five called strikes versus one whiff. That's great. And as long as he is not getting the whiffs, but also not letting the ball get hit hard, like he's going to succeed. And he's going to succeed, and that was the recipe for success on Friday. Philly's only had two hard-hit balls the whole game, and the, one of them was fucking Nola. And it wasn't even the RBI double. It was the single, the at-bat before, that went off the top of the wall. God. The mood in City Field was tense on Friday afternoon. Tense. Well, yeah, I mean... It started off good. The Mets in the first inning, McNeil got hit by the pitch. Lindor got the double, so you got second and third, yeah. nobody out. And then that started the 10 consecutive strikeouts by New York Mets batters, which now Aaron Nola has tied Tom Seaver's record for the most consecutive strikeouts in a game. That is disgraceful. Uh, I wanted Conforto to come up in that inning and just lay down a bunt and just say, ha, you can't do it. Because, like, one, Aaron Nola and Tom Seaver should never be mentioned in the same sentence together. Aaron Nola's a good pitcher, but he ain't no Tom Seaver. Not even close. So I hate that. And then he did it against the Mets. He tied the record against the Mets. There's one guy in baseball right now, maybe two, that should be able to tie that record. And it's Jacob deGrom and maybe Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer. Everyone else... I was going to say Kevin Gaussman, but all right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, all right. Enough of the Kevin Gaussman love over here. We get it. He's good. There was a lot of weird moving parts when Nola tied that record. The first one was that, of course, the Mets had second and third and nobody out in the first inning, and it kind of felt like we were getting to Nola again. This would have been the third consecutive start this year we got to him, and then something just clicked. But then as it was going on, there were a lot of people, myself included, who I don't think were actually aware of what was happening inside the stadium. Once it got to eight or nine, I clicked in, mostly because my dad sent me a text message. Because like when you're at a game, like sometimes I'm just not watching every pitch. Like I'm eating, I'm drinking, I'm talking, socializing, things are happening. So my dad texted me nine in a row. I was like, I know, the Mets have been out. The Mets haven't gotten a hit in three innings. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. He's like, no, strikeouts. I was like, oh my God. And then they flash it on the board. And then like some of the grumpy old guys around me, you could see people like crossing their arms. Like, leaning back, like, oh, shit, it's not going to do it. Not going to do it. And then the funnier part, which my dad keyed into me later because he was watching on television, was that the Phillies were completely unaware that this had happened. They had no clue. No clue. They did not know, I feel like, until, like, he came in. They were like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, you just broke a record. They asked for the ball. No, like, the umpires asked the Phillies if they wanted the ball. And they were like, for what? (laughs) <laughs> are you kidding me i mean it, it is such a specific record that like it, it's cool it's like one of those to like show how dominant you were like mm-hmm. over like a very like short stretch really because 10 batters is still like three and a third innings mm-hmm. but it is so cool because like it, it's been standing for so long and no one really does it especially with how much many strikeouts are in baseball right now more than ever definitely we haven't seen this happen until Aaron Nola did it against the New York Mets no and it's also important to note that Tom Seaver did strike out the last 10 batters of the game so even while Aaron Nola has tied Tom Seaver that's not, it's not true because Tom Seaver could have struck out more guys like it's possible the, the, the streak wasn't broken the game just ended yeah, which is also crazy, too, that, like, third time through an order, Tom Seaver strikes out 10 batters in a row. Aaron Nola got, like, the guys basically in their first and second shots. I don't think anyone cared about third time through the order in 1970. I don't even think that no, was something I mean, that was recorded. 
that was when you had shortstop and second baseman that, hey, if you could field, you were playing. Bud Harrelson, same, you know. Same with catchers. Yeah, there was f- five or six legitimate outs every single spot in the lineup. So My uncle also loves telling me about that game because I believe they were playing the Padres in San Diego. Tom Seaver, California kid. And he said the shadows were perfect to where Tom Seaver was still in the sun, but there was a dense shadow that lined up like right before home plate, and no one could see the ball. He's like, and Tom was, and- Tom was throwing 98. I was like, I don't know. And weirdly, too, in this game for Nola, as we know, when the Mets play these like little matinee games in the mid-afternoon, the shadows get wild yeah. at City Field like before 7 o'clock. Mm-hmm. They're like, there were shadows, then there weren't, then there's a little bit of shadow, and then you get to the batter's box. It happened also yesterday in the game a little bit, or maybe it was the DeGrom game. Yeah, the 4 It was the game. DeGrom game, too, yeah. yeah. yeah before we completely move on to Taiwan, I just want to mention his velocity was pretty well down across the board and this comes on the heels of his spin rates having dropped a little bit over the last few weeks he's still very good but we have to just all be ready for the taiwan walker regression that's going to happen at some point this year taiwan walker is not going to end the season with era in the twos or a whip like that hovers around one it's just it isn't going to happen he's very good this was the best signing of the offseason and he's been a catalyst for our success but he's not like a top 10 pitcher in the National League. His stats will not end up that way. Something is going to happen at some point. Waller's going to find his level of Taiwan. Hopefully at the same time our offense starts to hit well. So it just neutralizes and we don't even know this either. But he's very good. He's not great. Right now I think Taiwan has a legitimate case for All-Star though. With his numbers that he's put up this year. Yeah. He's got a 2.38 ERA. And I know like ERA is not the best stat. You want to look at FIP. You want to look at this and that. The, the guys who are deciding who are going to be the pitchers are still going to look at ERA. Yeah, it's a manager. Taiwan's got a 2.38. He's got a whip at 1.034. He's striking out nine batters per nine innings, giving up six and a half hits, 0.6 home runs, 2.8 walks. Those are really, really good numbers from afar. And even when you dive deeper into him, he's just having a very good season. Definitely worthy of, I I believe, being on the all-star team, at least in the conversation. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like he's basically had a good start every time out this year besides that Cubs game. So whatever, yeah. whoever's on that managerial staff for the All-Star game, they're going to be like, that guy got us one time. Like, I want him to be on the team. Especially when you see that, like, accumulation of stats. Like, I think Taiwan's going to be an All-Star as long as something catastrophic doesn't happen between now and next week. In Major League Baseball, he's 12th in ERA. In the National League, he's, two, uh, he's ninth. So, I mean, he's up there with guys like Joe Musgrove, Zach Wheeler, Scherzer, Peralta, Trevor Rogers, Brandon Woodruff, Gosman, and DeGrom. Those are the guys that are ahead of him. And then behind him is Darvish, another New York Met, Marcus Stroman, Bueller, Bauer, Bauer Desclafani. Like, those are some all-star caliber pitchers. Taiwan's got to be in the conversation for sure. Yeah, I think you just named the whole all-star staff right there. I'm cool Probably, with that. yeah. yeah. Let's put the 15 guys there. But, again, the real story of this game, the offense struggling, not doing great, but at least... They woke up a little bit when that rat fuck, mm-hmm. Jose Alvarado, came into the game. The Phillies got to stop bringing him in against the Mets. While he got out of it originally. Yes, initially. Initially, all oh, the Mets the Mets got a little bit of a break here when he tried to field the ball, mm-hmm. threw it into the sun. Luckily, you had the combination of the sun in Reese Hoskins' eyes, plus he's a garbage first baseman defensively. Awful. God awful. Also, An error, we got a break. And if Alvarado can't throw the ball accurately to home plate, like there's no way he can spin and throw with that, you know, fat stomach and actually make a play coming off the mound. There's no way. No, no shot, no shot. So we got super lucky, but uh, happily it went against the guy that we hate. Uh-huh. We also got a double steal against him that was really, really nice. Uh-huh. Uh, like the Mets haven't really, I felt like stole bases. 
effectively. Like we've we've done it more than we have in the past, but it feels like sometimes we get a little too aggressive. We don't necessarily like get the feel right. That was perfectly executed because Alvarado didn't even look at them. No, I, I mean that's just Lindor being Lindor. The guy's so he's such an aware baseball player. Like that's probably the number one attribute he brings to the table. It's just this um. I don't know, they say the best players in every single sport or like in any profession, the game like slows down for them. Like the game is kind of slow for Lindor. I don't even know if that was something that was called or if he just made a signal to Pete because it looked like Pete was kind of lagging behind him because on that play, Real Muto actually almost threw the ball to second. We're throwing the ball to second on a double steal of second and third. Like, yeah, really fuck something up. It was a shame that didn't get us a run, but it was nice to see that we were on our toes and trying to get one. Yeah, trying to trying to be a little heads up, trying to make something happen because again, this offense not doing much, but. In the seventh, we did get to him. Lindor, big friggin' hit. Mm-hmm. He has, he's he's getting warmer. He's getting warmer. He's getting closer. I thought at this point, yes, like he's warmer. It happened, and then I have a note for later. Like the, honestly, the second game, where it just felt like he'd regressed again, or possibly a third game when he had that crazy strikeout in the ninth inning, yeah, where he did not even see one ball that was relatively near the strike zone. We'll talk about that in a couple minutes. It just seemed like Lindor was very locked in for that at bat, and he was so focused that he was not going to let, he wasn't going to let his at bat go through without the Mets tying the game. And the Mets had multiple chances in this game and other games this weekend where they had a man on third with less than two outs and were not able to convert. That seemed like one of the themes of this series was not being able to do the little things to get a guy home. I know in that sixth inning, McCann struck out with a man on third and uh, one out. Next game, who was it? The first, oh, the first inning, Conforto did with no outs. Everybody did. And Alonzo, yeah. So it was nice that Lindor actually got a base hit to do it. I thought he won the game on that foul ball. That looked so oh. gone. Dude, and I, he like kind of posed for it too a little bit, mm-hmm. especially like from the TV angle. Like He hit it and looked at it, and I was like, oh, he freaking did it, my boy. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, rip my heart out, it's foul. You can't do that to me. Uh, I mean, like he's, he still got the big hit. So Yeah, which is perfectly fine. Tie the game. Lugo came in, locked up the eighth inning, and then we had like the most relaxing – Bottom of the eighth ever. We just got walk, I mean, walk and then hit. Game over. No stress. Yep. Intentional walk to Pete to face Dom, which I, I do think that's the right call. Yeah. I would avoid Pete and go after Dom, especially after the years that both of them are having. Pete's not been unstoppable, mm-hmm. but Dom's a double play candidate too. Ball on the ground, double play. One more out, you're out of the inning. I think that was the right baseball move. And that was still Ranger Suarez on the mound for the Phillies, right? Yes. So that was lefty-lefty. Wow, we jinxed my guy Ranger Suarez. He gave up runs left and right this series. Don't say we. You yeah, jinxed I did, Yeah, when you, <laughs> you called him out for being my guy last episode, and then now it just looks worse. Still having a very good year. I'm still, I'm still taking that take. That's still a win in my book. But a couple other things of note in this game. Castro came in for multiple innings, and he had some of the worst control he's exhibited all year. I think he got five outs and walked three batters. It wasn't, didn't look great. Drew Smith also came in and had a clean inning, but his RPMs were which is not that cool, but they still look good, so whatever. Drew Flo always looks good. Yeah, I mean, RPMs are just down across the league, of course, as we know, with grips and spider attack and everything changing. Just a note of Major League Baseball, we got Hector Santiago. We yeah. got our first guy, dude. Uh, brother of TJ Santiago, pitcher for Linden High School, who we went up against in high school baseball. Nice. His brother was a stud through, like, 92-93. <laughs> Hector Santiago, cheater, I, I mean, like, I just don't understand how you could be so dumb to do it right now. And apparently, he was also getting shelled in the game, so it wasn't even helping. Wait, wait. And also, they put the bat, the glove in that weird white bag. That it was, was just a garbage bag. That was so strange. Like it's an official bag. But then they took it out. Did so it was up? like put it. It was like put it in there. Is like, hey, we we've obtained 
the whatever it's called the the piece that we need and now it's like okay now that we got it like we can take it out and look at it it was so weird this is a different experience doing a morning episode and we're talking about sticky substances i just had a fucking brain blast garrett cole was in my dream last night all right we need to hear what this is about <laughs> I'm what is to, your garrett cole dream i feel like that was it him getting shelled for six runs against the red no, Sox, watching I, his team I, get swept i remember him being at like um one of those like stand-up bar tables and he looked like like sullen where like he was like <laughs> Like sitting there, I was with two of my friends from Westfield arguing about the Mets and the Yankees, and I remember Garrett Cole being like upset and like whining and complaining about stuff. <laughs> I can't believe that Garrett Cole seems like a whiner. He seems like someone who would pout and be like, Meh. "We've seen him do it." I, like I thought he was going to cry again yesterday in the press conference. The Red Sox hit me so hard, I can't use my stuff. Oh, it's so. Oh, I feel so bad for Garrett Cole. He's poor guy. Uh, it's only three hundred thirty million dollars to wipe his tears with. Yeah, but, so so bad. All right. Back to the mess. That was funny. I can't believe I just remember that. That's crazy. Two things I want to mention. Two shout-outs. A couple fans hit me up at the Mets game. My boy Tommy, who I saw a couple months ago, who pinned me out again in the crowd. Know your name now. Tommy. It's a homie. Just met him in the outfield twice. Hope to do it the third time later this season. And my guy Ryan, who was celebrating his birthday at City Field on Friday. He said what's up to me walking in. I didn't find him. And he made a Twitter account just to say what's up again. So good guy, Ryan. I'm happy you're on Twitter now. Follow the pod. Follow me, follow Mark, get into Twitter game. And then on to game two, which, I mean, do you like 0-0 ball games? Because I have something for you. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, that game was a 0-0 ball game. It had the potential to not be because Albert Almora almost hit a home run. Yeah. I think it's worth noting that Albert Almora got all of it, and it was a wall scraper. Yeah, um, This guy's offensive limits are just the orange non-existent. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's basically the wall. Andrew McCutcheon, sick play. Of course, the dude whose knees just are not working. He has been hobbled all year long. He's having a great offensive year, but defensively, he's forgotten how to play the outfield. But he remembered for like two seconds, jumped, caught that ball, fantastic catch. It originally looked like it might have hit off the wall into his glove. Nope, he just made a sick catch, and that kind of sucked all the air out of the game. Andrew McCutcheon's very good offensive year is funny because he's hitting like a clean 220. But he has like eight or nine homers, like 30-ish RBIs, 30-ish runs, I think five or six steals, and like an OPS plus of like 135. Dude, I think McCutcheon has like 15 homers if I'm... He has 13 homers on the year. What? <laughs> 13 homers, 349 on base, 795 OPS. That would be one of the best offensive players on the New York Mets. That would actually, I think, be the best offensive player in the New York Mets. That'd be the most home runs, the highest OPS, <laughs> besides Billy yeah. McGinney. No, this isn't good. The Mets, I don't know when the Mets are going to hit. I don't know. I can't believe that an outing with Matt Moore in like on a hot summer night, after you're already warm from the previous game, with momentum off a walk-off win, I don't know how you can't hit. I don't know how. It doesn't make sense. Matt Moore, for some reason, has the New York Mets number this year, which is seemingly the only team he's ever had the number of in the last five years. I mean, this guy was in Japan and getting hit a little bit, and he came back to America and is getting hit a little bit, except by the New York Mets. When you see Matt Moore on the mound, it's very much the Chase Anderson stuff. Now, Matt Moore is better than Chase Anderson. Of course. I don't think we would get a hit off of Matt Moore by any means. No. But we're also not professional baseball players. The New York Mets are. And with a lineup that the Mets have or that we thought that we had, there's no reason Matt Moore should be going scoreless. We also did the classic Mets where we threw out like a slightly worse lineup this game. We punted a little bit. Yeah, Conforto had the game off. Almora was out there the whole time. I think um, oh, Mazika was catching, Yeah, even though he yeah. actually had two hits. Mazika swings, man. He goes up there and hacks. He does, like, he's he does not take gonna, hacks. I don't think like his like top production value is like going to hit a home run, going to hit you a double. He did hit but one. But he'll go up there and... 
He'll go up there and swing it, though. And, like, that's what I feel like the Mets have not been doing right now is I feel like our swings are not, like, we're not in the driver's seat. And sometimes we get ahead in the count here, and it seems like a very defensive swing. At least Pat Mazika goes up there and takes some friggin' hacks. Yeah, he's up to the hit. Like, that was a big Little League thing. Like, you're up to the hit, you're up to the walk. Like, just trying to get a hit. Like, why are you here if you don't want to hit? It's just the Mets... I do like what you said. The Mets are not in the driver's seat and they're at bats. And they're all very aware that they're struggling. Everyone knows yes. it. We kind of like took a time machine back to April. We remember this was going on in April. All these guys couldn't hit. We're like, what's wrong? What's wrong? It's going to happen at some point. Everyone got hurt. And we kind of played like a different season for a little while. This like we got in this weird universe of like we suck. Everybody sucks. Let's just bring everyone, drag everyone down to the muck and the mire and win a couple games with nonsense. And now everyone's back. And it's like, oh, we still can't hit. Wow. I forgot when that happened. It's I know that like these guys coming off the IL, there's going to be a little bit of like a grace period for them to get back into the rhythm of things. And that was kind of the issue again at the start. Like you said, like the days off, the rain outs, everything like getting into the rhythm. But at some point, like, we got to see McNeil step up. We got to see Lindor be better. We got to see Alonzo, Dom Smith, Conforto. All these guys have to play like the players that we know they are because if this team wants to do big things, we can't keep having these 2-1, 1-0, 3-2 victories. We got to start scoring some runs. We're not built like the Tampa Bay Rays who can win games like that every single day. The Mets need to be better. I actually think the Mets are, I don't want to say built like Tampa Bay Rays, but the Mets are built in a way where they can win those games most days. The Mets don't need explosive offense to win baseball games, as we've seen. The pitching's going to regress a little bit as long as no one comes back from injury in the near future and no trade is made. But we have the bullpen and defense to win a lot of these late-inning games, win a lot of these 50-50 games. A lot of these games that were actually for the 60 games, that's a new phrase I'm going to coin this weekend. The Mets have been able to find a way to win those. And that is, I think, mildly sustainable, but not sustainable in the way that will win us a World Series. Well, yeah, I think, and that's, like, my point. Like, yeah, I think, like, in a one-run game, I don't have doubt in this team. And I think when it's a one-run game the other way when we're down, like, I think we we have a chance to win that game very well. It's just there's going to be times where it's, like, 3 nothing, like we saw in Game 4, which we'll get to at some point. And it just feels like we can't even come back at all. Yeah, that that 3 nothing game felt like we were down 30 runs. But before we continue to pontificate in the offense, I want to talk about David Peterson because he took another step forward. On Friday night, it was very, very positive performance from Peterson. He was very in control. He seems to be putting all of his pitches where he wanted. His command seems most of the way back. His whiff pitches have were crushing it. The four-seamer and the slider, two pitches I've mentioned many times this year. The four-seamer had four whiffs on 16 swings. Slider had five whiffs on 13 swings. And neither of those pitches allow the ball in play over 90 miles an hour. Not even the 95-mile-an-hour hard-hit threshold. Even below that, no Philly put a ball in play of 90 miles an hour off either of those pitches. He still had the sinker and changeup in the mix, but those two were just a little bit less effective, which is so weird that he was drafted in the first round for that sinker and that changeup. And they're just so clearly his third and fourth best pitches at this point. That home run by Harper, it was a sinker that he just left up. That was such a bad pitch. That was bad. A sinker high and middle. Like even, I think it felt like it was above the strike zone. Harper like went up and got it because it was such a fat pitch and he just demolished it. Yeah, you just got to be smarter. It was 0-2 as well, which, like, that's a killer. And Peterson knew it, too. He threw it. was like, yeah. oh. Like, I think consciously, like, of course, he's not like, oh, I'm going to beat Bryce Harper up in the zone. But I think the Mets sometimes got to be a little smarter. You can't throw Bryce Harper up in the zone unless you're Jacob DeGrom. He's going to catch up to 92. There's no way that 
that he purposefully threw a pitch to Bryce Harper up in the zone. Unless they have some scouting report that you could fool Bryce Harper with a high sinker and try and nip that top corner like MLB The Show. That's something that's happened this year across baseball a little bit. But it was, that was just the wrong call in that situation. But it, I just I just hate the idea, too, like, oh, two, we're not throwing a ball to a lefty. Yeah, or if you're going to throw Harper a sinker, throw something in the shadow, make him have to chase it, just hit a ground ball. Harper does have such a good eye. And he's very selectively aggressive that sometimes you can't really try and strike him out in traditional ways like, oh, two, slide it down. Like, he's a little bit smarter than that. But there's no reason that David Peterson should give up one solo home run to Bryce Harper and feel like he failed the Mets. Correct, because he didn't. The offense failed him. He pitched a hell of a game. You feel like I'm facing Matt Moore. Bryce Harper got me one time. Like, we should win this game 7-1. to one. Uh, It's just, it's so frustrating. Matt friggin' Moore. Hmm. Matt Moore we couldn't hit. I felt like Rojas did something good to try and, like, psych this team up during, it was the fourth inning, and Guillaume made a nice play in the hole, and he threw it to McNeil, and it was just kind of like a late developing double play, and I don't remember who slid in, but it looked like they slid, like, not late, but in that range where, like, you're making a baseball play, you're trying to break it up. And McNeil threw the ball away and let the guy get back to second base. And Rojas came to the top step. And he was chirping at the umpires trying to get interference call. I think he just argued too long and he missed his window to speak, like to actually yeah. get a review in. I, don't know, I just like that. I think Rojas is showing more emotion. I think we're seeing him evolve as a manager. I think he's finally starting to get comfortable, which is stuff that we've been like, we've been noticing as the months and games have gone on. We've been saying Rojas has been doing a lot better with bullpen management, with substitutions, with making decisions and stuff. And even with chirping guys now, this is a guy who is quiet, mm-hmm. quiet as a mouse last year. This year, he's given the umpire shit seemingly every single game, which I love. Lots of shit, balls and strikes. It's his maturation. It's the maturation of Luis Rojas. He's still a young manager. He's still even a young manager just in terms of age. Well, yeah, he's 130 games in probably or 120 games into his managerial career and he's what 37 38 yeah like there's players many players in major league baseball older than luis rojas the cardinals to their two best players basically older than luis rojas <laughs> but i just like that we saw we're starting to see a little bit of an element i think this team did need a spark it didn't work we didn't get the spark but at least he tried definitely tried um it's just it just fell short again just a little short name this episode's bittersweet like that seventh inning rally was so fucking bittersweet it's comforting that we could just set our watch to a big philly error in the last inning of games like every single game like oh philly's gonna make an error just wait for the error it's gonna come i was talking with my dad the phillies just play like bad baseball they just play really really bad baseball like you want to watch good baseball you watch the tampa bay rays you watch the houston astros you watch the dodgers the padres the giants you'll watch good baseball you want to watch some really really bad baseball talk about poor bullpen management talk about terrible defense you watch the philadelphia phillies that team is possibly the most defensively inept team i've ever seen mark they got joe girardi old school fundamental baseball that's what they you know, do they, sh- they should have gotten buck show walter instead i would like those two guys to manage in tandem i want both of them in in my dugout like maybe give each of them boxing gloves so they could settle their disputes between one another or maybe give buck show walter like weighted gloves because he's a little bit older than joe a little bit worse shape a little bit smaller too but I, I want to bring baseball to those days. I want to see those guys fight in the dugout. I want someone to knock a tooth out. And, like, I don't think the Phillies, you know, struggles are necessarily Joe Girardi's fault. He no. literally has no options in the bullpen. You throw anybody in, they are seemingly going to find a way to fuck it up. But also defensively, my God. I mean, Alec Bohm has just fallen off the face of the earth this it's year. completely cratered. He's went from being, like, one of the most exciting young players in the league, a guy who we said specifically would be a thorn in the Mets' side for a decade to come. To a non-entity. And I don't know if it's sophomore slump. Like, I think I, I still believe in Alec Bohm. I still think he's going to end up being a very good hitter. It's just, where do you play him in the field? 
a, you're, you're going to have to make the choice at some point of Hoskins or Bohm. And right now, because Hoskins is hitting and Bohm isn't, you, you clearly choose Reese. That error in the seventh inning by, by Bohm, he just like didn't catch a ball. It just clanked it. Like, what the fuck are you doing? And then it's just worse because the Mets like so easily could have won this game. Like they had multiple men on again, bases loaded, nobody out eventually, and Mazika struck out. Which I mean, I don't know, it's gonna happen, Miss Mazika. Like I know he's a magnet for these uh, big situations, but he's just still Pat Mazika. We we're pushing our luck too. He had two hits already. I'm yeah, yeah, you're the guy's hits. You're the guy's hits. I can go three for three, Pat Mazika. But the one issue I had this inning, this is a slight issue. It's a minor issue. These are the issues you notice when the team just can't hit at all. I was a little bit perturbed that Michael Conforto's at bat. Conforto didn't play this game. I don't think he, they wanted him playing a full doubleheader, still coming off the hamstring injury, even though Jeff McNeil could play. Both games doubleheader coming off the same injury for the same amount of time. Not an issue. He worked the count to 3-0. There's men on first and second, nobody out. He's a pinch hitter. He's coming in the game as our proverbial three hitter. Some people will argue he's probably the best actual hitter on this team, especially at points when he looks good and well. And he watched the pick, pitch go right down the dick, 3-0. Right down the dick. He ended up working a walk, I believe, on the very next pitch. So now we have bases loaded, nobody out instead of first and second. But at some point, we brought you into this game to hit. This comes back to the argument, you're up there to hit, you're not up there to walk. I know the walk ended up getting us to tie the game because McCann eventually hit the sack fly on a ball. That should have been out. I, I can't. It should have been. Oh, my God. Ugh. And how did, did Odubel get there? How did, how did the Mets happen to crush a baseball that stayed in the park and also stayed up that long? Odubel Herrera was playing so shallow. He's also a god-awful center, center fielder. And a god-awful He's, human. Yes, and a god-awful human. Trash. But how does he get there to make that catch, oh. too? But just Conforto, I feel like, has to be aware in the situation that Pat Mazik is on deck. Pete Alonso's not on deck. You're not in the three-hole. Like, we're not yep. working a walk to get to the middle of our order. Like, this is the bottom of our order. This is it. And I think also McCann did pinch hit as well. Yes. I wish I would have seen some more aggression to make something happen and try and win a game rather than tie it. Now, to get a little bit on like a, a tangent here about Mets' approach, do you think, because this is something that we've talked about, the Mets, I think, lead baseball in bases loaded walks. And this is a really, really weird stat. We're getting into yeah. some minutiae here. But they lead the league in bases loaded walks. And I feel like this is a sign of their approach that they are very much looking to walk when they get up to the plate. And this is something I've mentioned to you. It feels like they're looking to walk instead of getting hits at times. Do you think that like this Michael Conforto at bat proves that? Or do you think that's like more of just because like, like you said, he should be up there trying to swing and it did yeah. help the team. It like, did. I no. don't want to we wouldn't take have, it. We wouldn't have got that man to third base without Michael Conforto walking and pushing everyone ahead. But I think it gives us a little insight into what's going on in the Mets hitters minds. Yeah. And it seems like it's walk over aggressive trying to get the hit that pushes us forward. And I think that's also a baseball thing, even more so than the Mets. I think that there's a lot that goes on in modern baseball where guys don't want to make mistakes. I don't even know if it's specifically because they don't want to fuck something up or it's because they don't want to screw stats up. Guys aren't scared about striking out. We know that. But I think like a mastery of the strike zone is becoming something that we're very used to with players. So I don't think guys want to extend it in any way. I think there's also probably more walks in baseball now than we've ever seen ever. Like there's just guys are taking tight pitches. Guys are being less aggressive. I, I don't know. Conforto's always been like this too. Conforto's always had a little bit of a passivity. Passivity. Okay, that sounds good. A passivity about the way he approaches the plate. I think that's always been something that's kind of held him back from taking the next step forward and going from a good player to a great player. Having that like tenacity to be like, 
I'm gonna I don't really care about taking a walk here. Like I'm going to get this hit. Like he has never been able to be selectively aggressive. And I think that is the problem with this entire Mets roster right now, because everyone knows they're struggling. And I think that when you take a walk, it's a very safe outcome. You can't get worse taking a walk. I, I really like that take. And that I think sums up the Mets offense right now is that you can't get an out when you walk. No. And it feels like the Mets are afraid to make outs swing in the bat sometimes. It does feel like that. That's why that Lindor at bat in game one was com- comforting. It kind of felt like something was... some. It liked that a guy wanted to take matters into his own hands and be in control. That got him in trouble in game three, which we're going to get to in just a few minutes. But I feel more comfortable with a with like a very good player at the plate who is like up there to win it. Like even with a man on second in a one-run game, a, just a, a simple single from Michael Conforto will bring that guy home. I think McKinney was on second base who has some wheels. Like. Yeah. And also the fact that Conforto came right out of this game. He didn't remain in the game to just to, to pinch hit and then he play extra innings in the field even after we tied. Like Blankenhorn went out to right field. Yeah, he caught the ball in this eighth inning. Yeah, so if this is this is all you're doing. You are just coming here for one at bat to hit, and you just you, you don't even take the bat off your shoulder. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think this is something we're gonna have to monitor with the Mets over the next couple weeks is what these at bats are gonna look like, because we we walk we walk a ton, we don't hit a lot though, and right now that feels like the difference between us winning and losing games sometimes is those hits. Is we're not getting the hits when the guys are on, we're getting those walks. They are, but there was a time not very long ago where we were getting. A lot of hits with men on. The Mets in the month of June have had one of the highest batting averages with runners in scoring position in baseball. And that was the big thing that was wrong with this team earlier in the year. That we didn't have the risk. We didn't have the risk. We didn't have the risk. What what is risk? Yeah. Now we have it. Kind of. Sometimes, I guess, a little bit. Maybe not this week, but I don't know. It just seems like it almost seems mental why this team can't hit. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I don't know. We're we could probably talk about this forever and try to get into the inner workings of the New York Mets hitters' uh-huh. minds. But really, the Conforto walk thing didn't lose us the game. No, it didn't. I just wanted to pick on something that I think was a symptom of a larger issue. And maybe yes. I, uh, we can't identify exactly what that issue is. I have a couple stats I'm going to throw after we do all four games in a little bit. But it's just something weird is happening with this team. It's like we're cursed. Yeah. And then seventh inning, or eighth inning, I should say, Sean Reed Foley comes into the game mm-hmm. instead of Edwin Diaz, which was a bit of a head-scratcher because... If there's ever an opportunity to put in Edwin Diaz, it felt like that was the inning. Yep. And while Sean Reed Foley technically got the loss and blew the game, he really didn't end up doing anything wrong. It was just Manfred baseball. Yeah. And we also got a little unlucky where the ball up the middle, Lindor kind of bobbled it a little bit, had the guy dead to rights at third. Also still a tough throw, throwing two-third yeah. base from the position it he was at. It didn't seem like the bobbles what did it. It just seemed like he didn't have a lane. I was sitting right on the third base side. Like I was like just staring into Francisco Lindor's soul when that happened. And based on where I was standing, there's no way he could have thrown that ball. It just would have opened up the floodgates potentially. And I think, yeah, I mean, he, he still got an out, which I think was like the right baseball play. Like, I think you, you like the thought process. You saw, he consciously was like, I had a chance at third yeah. and then decided, no, we're going to get the out at first, which then set up the Lewski or play, which, Oh my God, he almost made the sickest play on that. Of course, the ball popped out, but then he somehow recovered it and got the guy out at first, which Luis Guillorme is our king. We've been saying that forever. That we too. stand Luis Guillorme. He's one of the few guys who, I love his approach to the plate. Yeah. Dude, he's passively aggressive. Yeah. He doesn't punish you with home runs, but he goes up there and it feels like he has a plan. Definitely. And then just while we kill this game, it's cool to note that Reed Foley, coming in for what was, I'm sure, expected to be a one-inning role, he was able to get that fastball up a little bit higher, kind of show him to have a little bit 
higher of a ceiling in a one-inning role. He was sitting 95. He's been sitting in the 93s when he's come in for longer periods of time this year, which was pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, and unfortunately, the Mets offense just yeah, we just couldn't, we, we couldn't get a similar run with Manfred Baseball. We just couldn't get put the ball in play the right ways. We had the top of our order up, too. Yeah, just bad at-bats, yeah. bad at-bats. So we lost that one. The high of game one was quickly erased by game two, mm-hmm. leading us into game three, DeGrom Day. Mm-hmm. Everyone gets excited for DeGrom Day, as you should. Best pitcher in baseball, one of the best pitchers of all time on the mound, going up against the Phillies. And I got to say, DeGrom looked human, which is funny to say because he was still, like, good. Still great. Yeah, still really good. Like, he just wasn't super dominant. Like, he didn't seem as, like, in unbelievable controls he has the last couple times. So it wasn't like a no-hitter watch, this game. No. Like you felt the last couple of times he threw like six innings, five Ks, two earned, one walk, hit by pit. Sports Center said he struggled. That's my bad Mets take of the week. That was like on the <laughs> bottom line. Like Jacob DeGrom struggles. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, do you see those stats? Yeah. One, one run really struggled or two runs, whatever it was. Really just he was on the ropes all game. No, even in just the six innings when he struggled, he threw 18 pitches above 100 miles an hour without rounding. Yeah. He's just he's still that good. The slider was slide. This was the first time all year that he actually threw more breaking balls than fastballs, which I thought was something interesting to note. He also, I feel like I know this on the television. It seemed like he had two different breaking balls he was using. Not really an up and down curve, but he introduced this kind of slurvy type thing. And if you look on Savant or Fangraphs or Brooks Baseball, if anyone gets really in the weeds with pitching, they still list all of them as sliders. And that kind of makes his movement and his velocity readings for that pitch look differently in terms of the whole year spectrum. But it's very clear those were two different pitches. So I think that DeGrom is starting to get deeper and deeper into the arsenal as the season's going on. Also, it just seems like he just didn't have the feel of this game. So he's trying a little bit more to get guys out. Yeah, and again, like... While he wasn't the degrominant guy that we normally see, he gave up two earned runs in six innings. Again, there's no reason the Mets can't put up two against this Philadelphia Phillies pitching. Offense just struggled, struggled, struggled early again. Lost. We're completely lost. Second inning, second and third, nobody out. With a run home, couldn't get one guy in. McNeil looks like he's never even played this game before. He looks like they just handed him a piece of wood, and they were like, you have to hit the ball. He's like, where? We've talked about red ass with McNeil. Like, that's something that you've been, like, very vocal about. Like, this guy gets big red ass, gets super, super hard on himself. He's got to relax. It's getting to the point where it's like, Jeff, like, we all know, like, it's not been a great season this year, but every single time you get at the plate, like, I love the intensity. I love the fire. But we can't be screaming fuck and slamming helmets and breaking bats every single time you get out. You're going to get out 70% of the time, even if you're sick. He does the same look every time, too. He goes like this. He takes the helmet off like a step before first base, and he's like... Like, I feel like he's pressing too hard. Oh, and I feel like that's so, so affecting his play. And, like, he doesn't need to. Like, you're our second baseman. You're our guy. You're going to be there every day. Just go up there do your thing. Get, get your hits. Smack it around. Be aggressive. Don't change the player that you once were. Because now you're pressing and it's affecting your play. Like, you went through a slump and you're making it now turn into, like, a full season stretch kind of thing. And they also kind of used their only trick right when he came off the IL by putting him leadoff. Like, that's always been kind of, like, the thing, like, oh, we'll make McNeil leadoff. That'll get him going again. Well, now he is leadoff and he still isn't going. I don't know what to do next for him. Also, Lindor had a pretty awful game, 0 for 5 here. The big big fuck-up was in the ninth inning, but that's... Talk about that in a couple minutes. I was just really happy that Pilar bailed us out. You know, he probably, truthfully, has the best approach on this team right now. I said about Guillaume, but Pilar has been a guy who's been like very, very selectively aggressive. Mm-hmm. He's never been a big walk guy to begin with because he's always been like a guy, I'm going to go up there and swing. 
but it's been like working out and while he still has like an OPS at like 711 or 720 whatever it is nothing that makes you go like hey wow what a year he's going up there and he's swinging he's taking hacks I want to see some hacks I feel like he's rarely fooled and giving me defensive swings and I I hate defensive swings unless there's two strikes it just seems like he really wants to hit the ball like like we said before a lot of these guys seem like they want to walk Kevin Pillar does not get cheated maybe you have to just live close to the sun like Kevin Pillar to act this way and you have to break your face and you have to play independent baseball or like get drafted like the 25th round or whatever happened to him you gotta just you gotta be disrespected three consecutive off seasons by different franchises like maybe you just gotta crazy shit like that you gotta rub some dirt on and play baseball I also don't know how his ball got out yeah, uh, Kevin Pillar. He's got some magic on him. I'm gonna, I'm gonna believe in him. One of the LR brothers. He, he gets it done when we're missing Jonathan. He does have some magic. Yeah, I wish we had Jonathan VR the series. Oh, maybe it would've been a lot different. It could've been much worse actually. Playing a lot of fifty-fifty games, like he could sometimes tilt the scales in the wrong direction. Yeah, just can't hit. We just can't hit. Can't hit. Just can't hit. We can't hit. Magic tie the game by a, a miracle between Peraza and Pilar, which is just that's funny that all these guys are back in the order and those are the two with the RBIs. And then I hate this narrative, but tie game Diaz strikes again. He is so allergic to pitching well in a non-save mm-hmm. situation. It's laughable at this point where you, you have to keep putting him in here. He's got to figure it out at some point in the non-save stuff. Like Because a tie game is a save situation in my eyes. You're, you're saving the game. Nice. You're extending it. You should that tell, you should tell be, Edwin Diaz that. Yeah, I, maybe the Mets, you know, give me a call. I'm in, a, I'm in Queens. You can find me. Let's, let me talk to Edwin before he goes out there and say, hey, it's, it's, it's a tie game. That's a save situation, Edwin. I'm going to give you saves. Like, you know how Ohio State gives the stickers? Obviously, yeah. you know, you're an Ohio State fan. We need to give Edwin Diaz stickers for coming into stickers, the tie game. Yeah, and, like, we, we figured out, like, we need the World Baseball Classic atmosphere, so we got him the trumpets. Now we need him stickers for non-save situations so he has something to play for. Closers are such, like, children. It's so funny how particular all these guys need, mo- like, everything in the world for this to happen. He also, the irony of that ninth inning was that the Phillies didn't even hit anything. He just couldn't throw a strike. Like, the ball yeah. was everywhere. It was outside. It was inside. High. Low. Like, there was no semblance of anything that he could have done. And it makes me it makes me think there might be something, like, minutely wrong with him because him not being used Friday was curious especially in tie games he's been successful with the man on second base like that is the thing that will send his mind into next gear he actually can do well with that but the straight up tie game no one on there's something wrong he just he had no command the velo was down a little bit like he might just be a little bit tired he's been used a lot this year he's been the saving grace for this team like he could be gassed He's a guy who in the past has said that he likes pitching a ton, though. So I don't, I mean, like, yes, he can still be gassed and like to pitch a lot. That doesn't really, those don't correlate, but. He likes to pitch a lot, but his last outing, which was Tuesday or Wednesday, I can't remember. He had a very long inning, if you remember. Yeah. I think he threw like 35-ish pitches. So I think they probably wanted to give him three days off. Edwin probably will pitch three days in a row if it's three nine-pitch outings where he strikes out the side. Like, yeah, I feel great. I love, throw me again. But now yeah. when he's laboring in like first, like a, like a swingman's workload like that is weird but luckily he got bailed out he actually got the win which is the stupidest stat in baseball because <laughs> he blew the game and got a win yep and Giorme bailed him out too and then uh, yeah yeah, yeah. The ninth as well that that, that nice tag on the steal that was cool he's fantastic he's I so love good. Luis Giorme Giorme followed that up with like the ballsiest at bat I've ever seen from a guy in ninth inning yeah like he's just he's so good man I, we love Giorme we talked about him in the offseason or like preseason episode we hyped him up, but like for good reason. He's not going to be the guy that lights up the stat sheet, but he is the player. The Mets aren't doing the little things right now. Him and Pilar are the two guys who are. Yeah. When I was at the game on Friday, I was with two friends who like, they're, they like baseball. They're not really any, any kind of Mets fans at all. And they were like, who is that guy? I was like, who's that guy? Who's that guy? Luis Guillorme. <laughs> My <you mean>? dad. <laughs> 
we should talk about Lindor's at bat because he just really tried to be a hero again. And he's just like, whiff, 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 whiff. He just, nothing was close. And just to get back to our hitting discussion from a few minutes ago, the Mets didn't actually even get a true hit that inning. We got an infield single. I don't remember who. It was either McKinney or Blankenhorn or Pilar. I don't know. Someone got an infield single. Then walk, walk, sack fly, game over. Very much the way Mets baseball has been. Winning by not actually really hitting. No. For the got a sack fly and like it's kind of awkward to do the walk-up celebration after a sack fly yeah you got an out and like you win i also i don't know if you saw the replay of it like one off the bat it looked like conforto hit it better upon further review jammed that ball was a hanger how are we getting jammed so much on hanging pitches it's like i don't know we're getting into like the mechanics of hitting right now but whatever the Mets are doing at the plate, there's just something that's a little off. Whether it's the approach, whether it's the mechanics, whether it's this or that, something's just a little off. Once they figure it out, which I'm hoping Hugh, your boy, Quattlebomb, I hope he can figure it out. Gotta do something. Because right now, it's not Chili Davis's fault. No, certainly isn't. I don't think anyone would argue it was. Uh, Anthony Tacoma, he's our boy. Bets Mets beat writer. That's exists in the world he kind of he kind of upset me with his little tweet yesterday he dropped um the Mets hitting stats with Chili Davis the Mets hitting stats with Quattlebomb like the runs per game the batting average the OPS the slugging and I was like there's some different players for most of that stretch yeah not really fair when Joe Neshwi Fargus Khalili and Cameron Mabin were starting outfield yeah Cameron Mabin had like 70 at-bats I think Mason Williams had like 50 at-bats like I think we should pump the brakes on like the full comparisons I'm not blaming a hitting coach for anything and for an in-season adjustment I do think Quattlebomb is probably a more adept coach given the modern baseball landscape firing the coach never actually the coach's fault like it's the players no the players have to play i also wonder because we're getting mcneil we're getting conforto back we're getting these guys back now how much have they really done with Quattlebaum? Not very he much. He came in right when they kind of got hurt. Yeah, probably like two two-ish weeks with them. They were in the cl- in the clubhouse and dugout the whole time, so I'm sure they were still preparing with the guys who were starting, still in- involved with the video sessions, things like that. But you can't actually until you put that into practice. It's kind of hard to tell. I, yeah. I also briefly just want to touch on a couple quotes from Dom and Conforto after these first three games, where they talked about his team's ability to win despite offensive struggles, specifically. Dom said it like they were like how do you feel like you guys are winning but you guys don't it doesn't really look pretty and he was like I know it doesn't look pretty but the only thing that matters is we're in first place the team finds a way to win games and Conforto built on that saying that this Mets team is able to win differently than the teams he's been on in the past including a team that went to a World Series which is kind of funny to think about that Conforto actually was part of a World Series run he's kind of become like an elder statesman in this in this room it's kind of cool the Mets two and three hitters have both played in the World Series but I digress. I didn't like those quotes at first because it made me think like this process isn't very good. Like who we win, who cares? Like that's an old, old, old man take. That's something like Adam Wainwright would have said like four years ago when he sucked. But now I do kind of agree with them that we are able to do these little things well. I feel like we're running the bases better than years past. We're playing much better defense than ever before. And we're not timely hitting, but we're timely walking. The team is definitely better. I mean, we're in first place. I, I don't think I really need to explain that we're much better. But I think it can get lost in the shuffle sometimes because you can be so focused on the regression of the offense from years past. Mm-hmm. But then you also got to realize how much better this team's gotten on the pitching side. Hefner, we've talked about him. Mm-hmm. He's been sick. You want to talk about a coach making a difference? Jeremy Hefner. And then defensively, this team's been fantastic. One of the best defensive teams in baseball. Mm-hmm. We've been running the bases better, which is something we've always struggled with. We seemingly have had these athletes that can't run the bases like Ahmed Rosario in the past. Now we got guys who are getting the 
Yeah, who are getting the extra base on balls and stuff. So this team is better. This team is still very, very good. And I think that's the where Dom and Conforto were trying to get, is yeah. that while there are issues here, think about it. With issues, we're still very good. So once we do get around and fix those, like I guess, major deficiencies on the offensive side, this team's scary. Now, at some point, we do have to fix them. Yeah. We can't keep talking about this team is going to be scary when X happens because, as we know, the season's only so long. You got to you gotta make it happen at some point. But it's encouraging that even when we stink, we're still good. On top of that, it seems like this team is very together. It seems like everyone is very on the ball. Everyone is very, very focused. Disha had an article that actually came out early this morning about how the team has like dance parties, apparently, in the clubhouse after wins, which is kind of funny. They dim the lights, they have smoke machine, and they just That's awesome. they just get wild together, which I'm sure Jacob deGrom is not super involved in that. But <laughs> at, Or maybe he's leading the smoke machine. Possibly, yeah. Know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe DeGrom's like a crazy... I bet DeGrom has a sick worm. He's got him. If he's so yeah. like gangly yeah. and lanky. Like. <laughs> Break something out. Nimmo's probably a guy that can't really dance. I could put that. Actually, I guarantee you Brandon Nimmo can't dance. I'll so put, he's like, can we square dance? And everyone's like, that doesn't count. That's not fun. And Brandon was like, I have this great new... Christian rock song like someone give me the ox and someone's like, like you guys ever heard of Creed <laughs> they're so good I think they're new Creed just got to Wyoming like 2014 <laughs> just got there well just when they got the internet as well you could just feel the fact that these guys I think genuinely like each other and they enjoy playing for each other and there's an idea that they're picking each other up and that comes back to just this like focus that these guys want to win of course we're talking about all of this before we get to game four which is a trash game through and through but i don't know seems has a little bit of mojo i feel like we haven't really seen them have like fun yet on the field and it's because all the guys have really been struggling and pressing so like besides lindor it's tough to smile when you're not having a great year but i agree like the this is a very together team they were together before lindor got here we had the little you know rat raccoon scuffle Mm -hmm. and it seems like it's brought them closer so like, I don't have any doubts about, like, the, the makeup of this team by no, any means. No, no, that's the whole point of what I'm trying to get at here. It's like, even though we aren't playing super well, like, there's something, there's, this, there's like, a nucleus that exists. Like, there's something inside of this team that is pushing them further and harder. So when they are playing their best baseball, that will take them to new heights. Hopefully we, you know what, the Mets, are, the Mets are just focused on peaking at the right time. I don't want to peak too early. I'm not trying to get hot in July. Get hot in August. The 2019 Nationals were in last place, the worst record in baseball at some point in May. They won the World Series. Just get high. Well, we the went right to the time. World Series 2015. We were having a bad year at the end of June. An awful year. We can't look too much into how we're playing right now. But to, to I guess, parlay into game four here, uh, that was a bad game. It's an awful game. Complete trash. Marcus Stroman just simply didn't have it. Luckily for me, I was on the road, so I watched very little of it. I watched the highlights, and I go, I didn't miss anything. No, you missed. This game made me mad. Zach Wheeler is one of the best pitchers in baseball. That was abundantly clear. We called that, yeah, both of us. Yeah, 100%. It was obvious. Like, Pete is the only guy who even looked competent. Like, he had three balls in play over 100 miles an hour off Wheeler. No one else had any. Lindor had two hits, though, I think, on the day. Him and Pete combined yeah. for five total. Yeah, but Lindor had, like, um, Lindor had the ridiculous bloop double. Yeah. It was a ground rule double, but it bounced, like, just over Bohm's head and, like, right past the net. So I was like, yeah. this is funny. And then Pete had the hit right after. And then DeSarcina, I thought smartly didn't send because he would have been canned by Janikowski, even though looking back, I wish he would have just said, fuck it. Like, let's just try and knock the ball out of the glove or something. Because, wow, Marcus Stroman didn't have it. Didn't have it, didn't have it, didn't have it. All sinker splitters. Through 27 splits in his shortest outing of the year, which is ironic that he by far threw his highest percentages of splitters all season. The fact that a 
pitch that he just learned is now something he leans on when he doesn't have it. It had three more inches of break, like on average, than any of the starts this year. And it's cool that he's getting more comfortable with the pitch. SNY flashed a graphic that he's like, he was first at the beginning of the season only throwing it to lefties. And now he's throwing it comfortably, like evenly to both pitches on both sides, hitters on both sides of the plate. Cool thing, but there was just not, I don't know, something might actually be wrong with his hip. Maybe his mind was shot because of his grandma passing away, which thoughts and prayers to Marcus Stroman. Just, he left the team right after the game to be with his family. Yeah, I think his mind could have been elsewhere. I, I can't blame him for that one. He seems like a big family guy. Not that most people aren't, but he particularly seems like very, Aaron very... Yeah, yeah, I guess Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> he seems very, very family-oriented, and he seemed really crushed about his grandma passing away, which, uh, that I mean, that's terrible. You never want to see that kind of stuff happen. But especially him, he seemed very, like taken back he seemed very like introspective about like everything that he had done with her and he was posting a lot on social media so I think you can chalk up a little bit of the struggles to his mind being elsewhere plus the hip thing the Mets are gonna have bad games it's gonna happen you no one plays a perfect 162 this was one of those games where I know we had been struggling offensively and we've been doing this but we also did run into Zach Wheeler who is an ace in major league baseball so if there was ever a game to not score runs I'm okay with doing it against Zach Wheeler like that makes sense to me the guy is a a complete buzzsaw it's fuck Brody Van Wagenen especially for his quote they said about him that he parlayed like what two and a half good seasons through the Mets coaching fucking asshole he they were doing like side by sides with Wheeler and DeGrom and I was just like fuck well, my side by side in my video when Wheeler signed with the Phillies, I was like, he's friggin' Garrett Cole, everyone. Yeah. He is the next Garrett uh-huh. Cole. And what do you know? What has Zach Wheeler turned into? A Garrett Cole version type pitcher. He just strikes, like, they throw the same pitches, basically. He has the same mechanics to a T as Garrett Cole. They throw gas, and they're both really good. Like, Easy it was guess. such a it was such a lock yeah, he was gonna that be Zach great. Wheeler was going to be sick. Mm-hmm. Such a lock. His biggest concern from the start has always been his health. And what had he done the two seasons before that? He'd been healthy and strong. Healthy as hell. Mets were like $23 million? Nah, not interested. He also, I thought it was interesting, Wheeler, is not. he's more of a fastball slider guy. And he broke out a crazy amount of curveballs the first couple innings. And he couldn't really locate them. The Mets, of course, still couldn't hit the fastball or the slider. But he was giving a healthy dose of curveballs. I feel like that's something we're going to see against the Mets moving forward. Because if you think back to last week, Charlie Morton completely fucked the Mets up with curveballs. Aaron Nola decimated them with curveballs Friday afternoon. Like, it seems like curveballs are the pitch we are struggling with. Like, is this a single-A team? Like, we can't hit curveballs all of a sudden? Like, it's a joke. It's also, to say bittersweet for the 14th time this episode, we were out of this game early. It did seem like that. But Corey Oswald's game was four great innings. He kept us actually in it. The Mets still had a chance to win this game. He scrapped his sinker, right? He's throwing four seams now? He is, yeah. He looked fine. He got a little bit more life on it, too. Keith said he got a little more life on it, not realizing he's throwing a completely new pitch. And it's going up instead of down. And he touched 94, which that's new for Corey Oswald, kind of. Besides, like, the one spring training he threw 97. I was like, that's my guy. Even though it's not true. To channel my inner Frank the Tank here, I've never been a Corey Oswald fan. Every time he came in the game, I, like, just moan. I'm like, oh, my God, freaking Corey Oswald again. But he's shown us a little something these last two appearances here where he stepped up when we needed him. Yeah. He's kept it close. He's given us a chance. By no means do I want Corey Oswald starting games and no, being no, no, a legitimate no, 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 no. cog in this team. But he's came in in a time when we needed him, and he has done a very serviceable job. Absolutely. He's doing what he needs to do. I thought it was a little weird that after he had thrown two scoreless innings, his spot in the order came up with first and second and one out, and he hit for himself in at the time was, I think, a 3 nothing game. So the tying runs at the plate in like the fifth inning, 
at Corey Oswalt's hitting. I get that he did give us two more scoreless innings afterwards, but I don't know. Dom Smith was just sitting right there. And Dom, even though he sat yesterday, career 8-for-16 against Wheeler entering the game. That's not good to sit. I think, which this is like, I think one of the critiques that we've had on Rojas is he sometimes plays for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. This felt like a play for tomorrow where the Mets have no off days now until the All-Star break. He was like, I got to get more innings out of Corey Oswald because we just have so many games coming. It was also weird that when he took Stroman out, he sent up a pinch hitter to start the th- to lead off the third inning. Travis Blankenhorn hit. I think that Marcus Stroman and Travis Blankenhorn are probably pretty similar hitters. Probably. Blankenhorn's at least like maybe 20% better. But if you're burning a bench bat in the third inning, like I know the Mets, everyone plays with a short bench in modern baseball. Like, damn, I don't know. You got your tie runs at the plate. Like, you really care about two scoreless innings that much? Like, we have. No, I agree. Bullpen pieces. And if Corey Oswald only throws two innings, he could pitch on Tuesday if you need the innings then. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, and Sean Reed Foley, other long man, only threw one on Friday night. Like, he's available. While we're pitching a lot of games, like, this pitching staff, I feel like, is more available than I expected them to be at this point after the, the week, the nine-game week. I don't know. Yeah, we got, what, like, two weeks now until the All-Star break? We have this upcoming week and the following one? Yeah. So the, there's basically, like, 14 games left before the All-Star break, which is crazy to say because we're basically 14 days away. It's, it's it's tough. In the in the, in the the bad Mets games, even though this was three, this was like a – four four three or four run game for most of the day like it's a bad game you get the good gary and keith like they're really just talking about crazy shit they were talking about how to figure out a hitter's dominant eye and how that de- oh, yeah. that determines yeah how that determines how open or closed you should keep your stance because if you're if you're hitting and you're a right-handed hitter and your right eye is dominant you should open up your stance so you can face the pitcher more and see him better and if it's your left eye you should stay as close as possible because that'll help you turn the ball quicker like you don't have to get that advantage with your sight they were also talking about Cello Luna, which is the Mets' seventh inning song, which was funny. They were talking about the meaning of it, unaware that the song translates into English in the third and fourth stanzas. <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> you know, those guys, Gary, Keith, and Ron, when he's there too, they're just they, some of the best in baseball. They, they, just, they keep it moving. I It almost makes the, the bad games more fun because they talk about fucking nonsense. Oh, yeah. No, you can learn a lot about things when the Mets are losing. Not necessarily baseball. Yeah, just things. Stuff. Life. Stuff. Life experiences. Keith Keith's getting texts about packages for oh, and stuff. Oh, my God. You weren't watching the end of this game. Keith had a flight out of LaGuardia that he was cutting really, really close. And he was like, we, he's like, we got to speed this game up. I got to get out of here. And Gary's like. He's had travel issues all series because the NOLA game, you wouldn't have seen this because you were there. Uh-huh. Keith was stuck in traffic. He didn't make it until late. <laughs> he like, he came like halfway through, I think the <laughs> NOLA stuff. And he was like, he's like, I was sweating in the car, you know, like, I, he's like, there's history happening here. I got to see this. Like, <laughs> it's too funny. Gary was like, can we get you a police escort? Like. <laughs> That's too funny. I love these guys. It's so fun. I don't think there's many other announcing crews in the entire sports world where the guys are genuinely friends. Yeah, like Orsillo and Mark Grant out in San Diego are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're great commentators, but I don't think you have as much fun as you do with Gary Keith. No, no one has fun like these guys. This is the best. Which is funny because Keith is so crotchety now, but they still have so much fun because they like use that and they just twist them. Yeah, <laughs> they kind of like push his buttons a little bit. But like, so Keith, what do you think about uh you know everyone hitting two ten? He's like, oh, geez, geez. <laughs> like when Hoskins or like Bo makes the errors, Keith gets uh, so uh, disgusted. Uh, He's like gonna throw up. <laughs> He's like, I'm telling you, this this kind of stuff wouldn't stand when I played. <laughs> That's the most favorite line. 
But again, you talk about the Mets thing 210. The Mets also can't hit. Like we talked about it off air for a little while, just to try and find solutions that we could with the tools that we have available to us, and we just can't do it. Like for first it was Chili Davis's fault. Then then we had no players, and now it's just we just can't hit. Like everyone's here. We I can't have do a, it. I have a hypothesis. What? I think the Mets are still swinging some Wilpon wood. You know that the Wilpons like to shop in the discount section of this could- Marucci, Mizuno, whatever bat you're using. I think they're just getting like soft wood. And I know you talked to me about this, that there actually is, no, there is some theory to like the quality of wood that you get in a bat because like every bat is essentially like individually made. So I think the Mets are just getting some cheap wood. Maybe they think they're getting maple and they're getting cedar or something like that. I can see the Wilpon wood still sticking around. How many broken bats have we had this year? We need Cohen to start getting some new lumber in here. There's no two trees are alike, as I'm sure everyone out there is aware of. Eno Saris, who I think is the best in the biz, writes for The Athletic. He had a great article about a month ago that is what Mark just referenced. He was working on this, he said, for six months, where he went to a bunch of bat factories and distributors, and they explained to him that there's no real rhyme or reason to the bats they're created. All of these bats do have a slightly different rating on how actually good they are. And when a player gets a bat, like gets bats, they usually get like 9, 10, 11 bats. Like they'll take BP with all of them and pick their best bat. And there are some new teams and there are even some like outsourced analytics uh, data companies that will test bats for hardness, for bend, for all this crazy shit. And there is actual research that proves that there is different wood wood can bad wood will pound wood as mark so eloquently put it can affect teams ability to hit and the Mets might just have bad wood because i poured through a bunch of stats on things that we thought could be wrong with the eye test and there's nothing that really sticks out the Mets are doing fine with pitches in the middle of the plate at first we thought the selectively aggressiveness that the Mets weren't able to punish mistakes the Mets are actually 14th on expected woba on pitches in the heart as we mentioned before the middle of the plate that number's better than the Dodgers. Like, we're not whiffing a ton. We have the 11th most whiffs in the league. That's pretty middle of the pack. And these are season-long stats that include Mason Williams, Janeshwi Fargus, Cameron Maven, Khalil Lee, Peraza, Blankenhorn, all this fucking nonsense. We're middle of the road in strikeouts, 12th. We're middle of the road in walks, so we're not too selective. We're swinging and missing at the ninth most pitches in the shadow. That's something I thought could have been an issue, that we're just picking the wrong pitches to swing at, but that's not even crazy. And that... Those whiffs and those like swings and miss in the shadow don't even necessarily mean bad. The Red Sox are actually worse than the Mets in both of those stats, and they are one of the best offensive teams in baseball, the best in certain stats. So there really isn't anything that is obviously wrong, as we've talked about for this last hour. Yeah, it's just like something. Something's going to click at some point. It has to. There's too much talent on this team offensively to continue to be stymied at the plate like they have been. Luckily for us, we are getting one of our best offensive bat back. Is, is it today or is it this week with Brandon Nimmo? I think it's, they said, join on the road trip. So it could be today, it could be tomorrow. Okay, but Nimmo's coming back, which is big, because at the absolute worst, we have a legitimate leadoff hitter now. Helps extend that lineup even more. Take some pressure off move, McNeil. Yep, I was going to say move McNeil down the order a little bit. Maybe even get him a little protection right now, which is something he might need so he can get some more pitches and jump on those first pitches that he loves. I think this offense is going to be fine, but at the end of the day, we definitely are struggling, and it has to turn around soon. It has to. I'm saying it has to like it has to if we want to win games. Also, it just like has to. Like, how could it not? There's no way that this team and all the guys... like the, There's no way that Billy McKinney remains like the second best guy with OPS Plus on this team. We love Billy Bombs. Love Billy Bombs. But we know that we've got Alonzo, Dom Smith, McNeil, Conforto, Lindor. Those are five players that should all be leaps and bounds ahead of where Billy McKinney is at any given point in the season. Also, J.D. Davis is going to um, hopefully come back by the weekend, maybe. 
his third rehab July assignment. July 1st, right? Cross our fingers for that. And Nimmo is going to be joining the Mets in Atlanta, Rojas said yesterday, so not tonight. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, like, we got guys coming back. This offense is going to get back to normal. Hopefully, we start to see the production return back to normal as well. We're getting the names. Now we need to see the numbers. Take us to a little preview before we wrap it up. Yeah, let's do it. We got the weird game against the Nationals Mm -hmm. today, Monday. Uh, Like I said, episode's coming out a little bit late. We're going to include the Nationals game in our Brave Series recap next week. These these four-game series recaps are really wearing. They're thick, man. We got a lot to talk through with these, especially because the Mets haven't just been playing like, oh, we won, we won. These we are won. normal there's games. Been, this is normal there's baseball. There's been so much to talk about. But we got the Nationals who have been playing good baseball. Luckily, the Marlins beat up on them a little bit this weekend. Mm-hmm. But we got to watch out for Kyle Schwarber again because that dude's about as hot as anyone's ever been in the history of the game. Just Barry Bonds He's him. Just Barry Bonds him. Just walk him. Yeah, at this point, uh, you have to. And we got Eikhoff pitching tonight, which... The Nationals also have a name to start, so I don't know who it's going to be. Maybe... I, I don't even know who. No, Fetty hit the IL. Oh, he did? All right, that's good. He yeah. can't get crushed by him again. And Scherzer pitched yesterday, all- so we're avoiding him at least. We might see Voth, maybe. Austin Voth oh, make good. an appearance. Oh, God. That guy, fuck. We got crushed that dude. He's actually been better in a bullpen role this year, but if he's towing the rubber in the first inning, he needs to get eviscerated. Yes. I don't know why, but I feel like tonight's game should be a seven-inning game. Uh, a one-game makeup? Why is this not seven innings? <laughs> you know what's so funny is I was literally about to be like, and we got nine innings tonight, and yeah. they haven't named a starter. Like, yeah. this isn't a seven-inning game, no. which it feels like it should be. And we got Eikhoff in a nine-inning game, which will be fun. And then we got the Brave series. What are our matchups looking like there, James? We got to face Morton again on Tuesday, which is probably not going to be fun. But hopefully everyone's aware that he's going to throw you a curveball that drops into the bottom of the zone. Just telling everyone now, he's throwing a curveball. Get me over curveball. We got McGill facing off against him. Ace off there. Taiwan's going Wednesday. DeGrom moved up a day to pitch Thursday, which... Let's go. Get get three starts in before the break. I love that. Praise of only name Morton. I don't know who those other guys are going to be. Oh, and Smiley. I saw Smiley. They just, I didn't see that yesterday. Name Smiley. Let's just hit these guys. You beat the Braves. We're going to Atlanta. That's a great place to hit. Washington, too. Big wave of humidity is hitting the East Coast right now. Ball's going to lay up there. It's hot. Ball's going to carry. Let's get some motherfucking hits. And, I mean, like, just a little bit of a note here for if there's any Braves listeners. We saw Soroka also retore his Achilles, yeah, which is terrible stuff to see. Sad. You know? As much as I don't want Mike Soroka to ever pitch against the Mets, to see a guy go down for a torn Achilles for the second time, he's one of the you know talented young pitchers in the game. That sucks. That, suck. that really, really stinks because he is a good pitcher. It's a shame. It's kind of ironic that Soroka, like, his star, like, rose so fast. He was, like, so young when he made his debut. We had that, like, five-inning hitless game against the Mets. I think he was either 19 or 20. And now he's going to miss, like, three full seasons, even if he ever is effective again. It's crazy. It seems like that Achilles is going to be a problem forever, which sucks because that's, you know, a guy who was on the path to be, like, a very, very, very good pitcher in Major League Baseball from a young age. And that's stuff you don't really see too often in baseball is a young ace like that. Mm and he's going to be sidelined for quite some bit of time here. Do we have any of the Braves probables besides Morton, though? Yes, yeah, it's Smiley before. Oh, you said Smiley? Okay. Have we have we faced Smiley this year? I feel like we've dodged him every time. I think we got him once. He did miss like almost a month with injury. I feel like we had to have seen him one time just based on the law of averages. I feel like you're thinking of when he pinch hit in that game. Oh, my That's God. You we might, saw him. We might be right about that. Yeah, we have dodged Smiley every, every time this year. Well, let's smack around Smiley. Smiley please. has a pretty significant home road split. He is overrun worse with his ERA at home compared to on the road. This entire Braves team is a little bit of a different team at home. Like, I think the Braves' bats are going to come out this week. So we're going to have to match them. Yeah, we got to swing. Uh, luckily for us, Atlanta is a very hitter-friendly park. Yeah. The ball flies out of Atlanta there. also sneaky. I think the second or third highest elevation of any park in baseball. Yes, very sneaky. Yeah. Which you don't think of Atlanta as a mountainous area. No, but by the Appalachians. Wherever they're, 
yeah, wherever that uh, that field is located is doing good stuff for the baseball because seemingly every fly ball hit to right field goes into that chop house. And hopefully the Mets get a few home runs into that chop house. We need this offense to wake up. We still got the lead in the division. Mm-hmm. You know, we're still in first place. We're up, what, four on the Nats and five on the Phillies and Braves? Yeah. So it's a little closer than we'd like. We would have liked to have gained a few games here or there. We had the chance. But we still basically stayed even. Beat the Nationals tonight. Take take some games from the Braves. Stay in the driver's seat. The goal is stay in first place still by the end of the, or, you know, by the All-Star break. Yeah. This team has struggled on the road. So we have to yeah. be aware of that this series. I, I think we're going to be okay. I really do. Like, as, you know, upsetting or disappointing the offense has been, I still find myself in such a different mood than I ever have with Mets teams. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because, again, the, the dark cloud of the Wilpons has been lifted and I'm just a lot more optimistic about life since those people no longer exist in my life. But I'm not worried. I'm con- Does it make sense for me to say I'm concerned, but I'm not worried? Does that make sense? No, almost none. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's how I feel. I'm concerned because I'm like, hey, are we going to hit? But also I go, you know what? These guys are going to hit. Like, I'm not worried. Like in Florida, when Dom said, these guys know how to win games now. We're doing the little things. We're playing defense. The bullpen looks good. We're going to pitch well. This team's team's built different. We went from like a very young team, I feel like, to a very like a very, I don't want to say like a veteran group because I wouldn't go there yet. But we don't feel like a young team. We feel like a team that's been there and done it before. And I get that feeling with the Mets that they're very comfortable. A couple of these guys have. Like I said, two guys in this team have been to a World Series. That's more than most teams can say. Yeah, and if Syndergaard comes back, there's a third. Well, also and, DeGrom. <laughs> and DeGrom, too, yeah. yeah. Let's go. Just win these games. Play clean baseball. Just get out of this weird four-game week. Just get to the Bronx. We know we could beat the Yankees. That team sucks. Just get to the Bronx. Get to the Bronx and beat the Bombers and beat the Braves. We got a lot of Bs coming up here. Let's beat them all. It's rivalry week. It's rivalry week for the Mets right now. Between Atlanta and the Yankees, like, and just coming off the Phillies, this is rivalry week. This is rivalry week. Yes, let's put a stamp on it, which I think is also a perfect time to put a stamp on the end of this episode here, episode number 27. Mm -hmm. Another lengthy one, but these four-game series, man, you got a lot out of us and... If you want shorter episodes, you need the Mets to just win like 9 nothing, <laughs> So that way we can be happy, talk about the good stuff, and then we can end it and wrap it up in like a good 45 minutes. Or just not play any more four-game series. Like <laughs> That's also a possibility, yeah. but that's not going to happen anytime soon as we know with the Mets schedule here. If you guys want to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at MetsUp. YouTube channel, Mets the Podcast, and make sure that you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. It does help out. Spotify, Google Podcasts. Follow James on Twitter at JeterHadNoRange. Drop me a follow at GiraffeNeckMark. You know where to find us. That will be it for episode number 27. We'll talk to you guys after the Brave series on the weekend. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Peace out. Peace out.